Hi, Paul. Hello, Janina. Nice to see you. How is life? <laughs> and uh, just so you know out there, uh, we are actually seeing each other on video call here at the moment. So uh, yeah. we're not meeting. No, still and in Corona. Just stock on to the other. Yes, still in Corona lockdown. Yeah. Uh, but we can talk to each other and we can do podcasting at least. Yeah. We can indeed. That's mm -hmm. what we're going to do here today. We're going to talk some 5G just for a change. That's and uh, you are what listening we do. to the voice of 5G. That's us. That's Paul and Janina. Uh, we work for Ericsson, uh, which is uh, one of the uh, <laughs> companies rolling out 5G right now. And I just read today it was 80 live uh, Ericsson powered 5G networks out there now. Cool. Which is quite a lot, really. Yeah. Lots of people around the world. Um, but we've got some news. We've got some things to talk about. We, we, we have a lot of we, news. What are we going to talk about on our topic today, Janina? Yeah, so our topic, our interview topic today, uh, is going to be about what I call the innards. The innards. The innards. The innards. The yeah, innards, innards of, uh, of 5G. We're what? going to lift the lid on 5G <laughs> and say, yeah, how, do you go about, how do you go about making something which is incredibly fast and needs to be rolled out to all sorts of places around the world uh, and uh, you know do it in a way that's uh, economic for people to be able to go to the shop and buy a phone and use it yeah so we're talking about silicon mm. and chips yeah and stuff what's the what why is that interesting what difference that is, does it make and how can how do 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 we need to care about it at all? <laughs> Might be something. Yeah, but we we spend you know we have we have lots of uh, clever guys that spend lots of time designing this stuff, so they yeah. they're keen to let everyone know you know what uh, what makes five G tick, and you know how do we make it do the things it's the, the things it has to do. Yeah, but more uh, about that later. Uh, let's start off with with some other news from from. China. I just read that there there is the the largest 5G network set up there, and I mean China is a a big country with a lot of people, and uh, pretty cool. Yeah. The first the a big uh, 5G um, stand alone, I think, in more most parts network. Yeah, so, I, I think. Um... It's a moving target, of course, because they, they, they've, uh, they've, they've not stopped. But it's reporting at the end of February, they had 792,000 base stations. Mm. Uh, and I don't know if you remember, but, but uh, way, back, way back when, probably in 2019 or so, and, and, and 2020, when we first started rolling out non-standalone 5G, uh, China were not one of those markets that was leaping in to, to do a lot of non-standalone. And, uh, you know, they'd said, well, actually, we're going to go standalone, which meant yeah. that maybe they were not the first people in the world to actually roll out 5G. But, uh, you know, as you say, a big, a bit, a big country, uh, lots of regions, lots of big cities, and they're going uh, uh, full steam ahead. Um, yeah. And uh, I think the, the number I saw quoted was 260 million people uh there with uh, 5g 5g phones at the moment uh not entirely sure how how many of them get directly connected into the 5g network but uh, as you say 792,000 base stations is a lot 
Uh, and as we know from you know the things that we do, uh, it's some of those will be new base stations. Some of those will be a lot of those are probably existing base stations which have been uh, re-equipped either with software or new hardware to to run 5G as well. Mm. Um, but the, can we just uh, quickly uh, explain the the this discrepancy between subscriptions and you know, actual users of the network, because we've talked well, about this before in the mobility report, just so everyone's aware. Yeah, so so uh, you can count lots of different numbers around uh, around uh, who uses a, a mobile network. Um, uh, but the most obvious difference is between subscriptions. It's like I've got a contract to use a network uh, and subscribers, uh, because if I'm a subscriber, uh, I may actually have more than one subscription. Um, so, for instance, I have a phone that the company provides me for work. That's a subscription. And I have a phone which I have for my private use. And that's a, another subscription. Mm. Uh, you might have a subscription. Also, I know people that have a subscription to use for mobile broadband when they're in their cottage in the country uh, to get uh, to get broadband connectivity. So one person can have multiple subscriptions. Yep. Um, some people may not have any subscriptions at all. Uh, but but then you also have this thing you want to count 5G phones. Uh, I don't, you know, in many parts of the world, Sweden included, you know, all of the new generation of phones support 5G. So if you're renewing your subscription or if you're renewing your phone, then it's quite likely you'll get a 5G phone. In fact, they're talking about China. They're talking about 80% of phone you know, new phones going out to 5G capable. Mm. Uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean that all of those people have bought a 5G subscription. They may have done. It may be that they'll get it next year or, you know, so that there are, it, you need to be careful when it comes to the numbers to be clear exactly what the number is that we're talking about. Yeah. Um, so there's some, but, but uh, whichever way you count the numbers, uh, it's a lot of subscribers, uh, a lot of subscriptions. And a lot of base stations. And a lot of base stations. Yeah, cool. Uh, that's China. Let's, that's let's China. move around to the other side of the world, or this side of the world. Yeah, because about, we're uh, standalone. <laughs> standalone. Yes. Yeah. So standalone in in Europe. Hmm? Standalone. And just a reminder, uh, then the first generation of 5G networks that came, if I can call it a generation, that was that was networks that used uh, an enhanced version of a 4G core network together with an access network which was built on 5G standards uh, and that's called non-standalone because you're using it with 4G network. Uh, now we're moving into true 5G networks with five or true 5G standalone networks where we have a 5G core talking to a 5G access network uh, and that gives you advantages in things like uh, lower latency and better support for, for network slicing and lots of clever stuff uh, and that's rolling around in the world. Vodafone have launched what's said to be the first um, standalone network in Europe with a thousand sites, which is going to be uh, uh, increased to around uh, 4,000 sites. And they're talking about having 10 5G core data centers by the year 2023. Quite a big installation, but not quite in the same scale as China. Vodafone <laughs> uh, Germany. Mm? And we also had another interesting news coming from uh, Germany, a Germany-Greece collaboration there on the uh, for for improved backhaul because 
backhaul yeah. is also important for 5G because that's the sort of like the pipe that goes from the from yeah. base stations to, yeah, to we the have a whole podcast on, on transport. Of yeah. back, backhaul is one variety. Backhaul is is where you uh, the traffic that arrives at the base station and you know, it isn't any use so it doesn't go anywhere. So when I talk into my phone or when my, I surf on my phone, the, the, my data goes to the base station and then it needs to go to the internet, if you like. So mm. then there's a network of, of uh, f if you like, physical connectivity between the base station and the rest of the world. Sometimes that's on fibre. Quite often uh, it, it uses a radio link. Uh, and uh, that's uh, normally in microwave uh, frequency bands. Meaning uh, uh, microwave as in very small, micro-sized uh, waves, right? Very very small waves, exactly. They're literally... It's not like they have two microwave ovens or anything. Uh, no, it's Sorry. not like <clears throat> Sorry, Paul. It's, it's kind of like if we point two microwave ovens at each other and turn them on and off quickly, very, very quickly. <laughs> I love that. And turn the power right. <laughs> and then they right, talk to each other. <laughs> and turn the right power right down. So, and then they talk to each other. <clears throat> um, oh. But, but uh, um, there is kind of two things with the, with backhaul really. The the first is as as data speeds go up in in the in the 5G world and you get more more people running higher data towards the base station, then that that means that you need a very high capacity pipe from the base station back into the internet. Yeah. Yeah, so, so you need good capacity. Uh, but the other thing is that that some of the bands which 5G is using are bands which used to be used for backhaul. That we used to use those for actually running the radio links connecting the base station. Well, if you can't use those frequencies anymore, then you need to find some new frequencies. Uh, and all the frequencies, you know, up to uh, where we're using 5G, they're all kind of taken and busy. And uh, if there was new ones, we'd probably want to use them for for doing uh, clever stuff like whether it's Wi-Fi or or uh, IoT or uh, or mobile communication. Um, so the pressure is always on for backhaul to move up in the frequency band. Uh, so what they've done here is between uh, uh, Cosmoti and uh, uh, Deutsche Telekom in Athens, in fact, not in not in Germany, is they've been running you know, uh, links using what's called W-band, which I had to look up. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good, good. <laughs> I'm not the uh, only noob here than W-band. I mean, W-band is shorthand. If you work if, if you work with the radios, they, they say W-band, it only goes, ah, W-band. Uh, but of course, if you don't know what W-band is, it's, it's gobbledygook. And uh, what it is, is um, W band, it's, it's uh, 92 to 114 gigahertz. So to put that in perspective, the frequencies that we're using in the millimeter wave. Um, for 5G. For 5G is like 28 to 39 gigahertz, moving up towards 60 gigahertz. So this is quite a bit higher frequency than, you know, above above the bands that we're using for, for 5G. Mm. Uh, but what well, they high, high, high bands. I kind of this is yeah, this is like the the high, high, high bands. <laughs> uh, but I always think, I always find it interesting because if you actually look at the frequencies that you use for these high, high, high bands, if you compare them to something like light, which is also electromagnetic radiation like radio waves, uh, they're still very much low, low, low bands. Ah, yeah. ah. So well, in Get comparison, that. yeah. Yep. 
everything's relative. But that's really, <laughs> really cool to see. And, and the interesting there was that they compared it to E-band, which is the band that's quite popular at the moment for doing backhaul, which is like 60 gigahertz-ish, I think, 60, mm -hmm. 70 gigahertz. Uh, and showed that you can actually get quite, you know, similar levels of performance using W-band, which means that it's, it, you know, it has good potential for that. And they're talking about that not just for 5G, but already talking about 6G. Oh, goodness. Yeah. <laughs> that, that might might be our next podcast series, Paul. <laughs> In about 10 years time. Yeah, um, we can have a new podcast called The Ghost of 5G. Yeah. But talking about the W band and the E band uh, uh, and C -band. Those, yes, C there band. was also news about C band. Yeah, C band is uh, it's kind of lower down. That's that's more mm -hmm. or less the around where you get where you get Wi-Fi these days. Mm -hmm. um, but C band is one of those areas where spectrum has been made f is being made available uh for for 5g and is uh is being auctioned off in in different markets um and when i say being made available you know there is pretty much all the spectrum has got somebody using it today for something so if you want to use it for cellular networks then you need to find a different solution and sometimes you know that that may mean uh, so for instance say uh, you know when television went from analog to being digital um, then it was able to use the spectrum a lot more efficiently and you could move the spectrum around and, and free up spectrum for other things. Um, so C-band they auctioned off in the US a big chunk recently uh, and Verizon have announced that uh, now they're starting work on actually deploying 5G into the C-band. Um, so what they're doing at the moment is they're actually just preparing the network for C-band. Uh, because the, uh, the spectrum itself is is still used for other stuff and won't be free until the end of this year, uh, probably. So they so they've got basically the next six months they'll be upgrading everything ready to ready to go, and in quarter one of 2022, uh, they expect to roll out C-band on a wide wide basis, and they're promising uh, coverage for 100 million people in the US which is, uh, and, and then that will continue to grow further. Wow, well, uh, that's, uh, that's a lot of people there. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. That is a lot of people. Uh, I mean, we, we uh, I need to um, compare it to Sweden, right? Because I'm from Sweden, so we are 10 million people in total, and that's, this is 100 million people getting 5G. <laughs> Only 10 times. Only 10 times. Yeah. That's a bit, that's a bit like Moore's Law. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we're going to talk about that. <laughs> the numbers keep multiplying. Yeah. And we're going to talk about that and more about Moore's Law when we go over and talk about uh, with our guests today. Yeah. About the silicon inside. Um, one more thing, though, before. So we were talking about this rollout uh, on the C-band. Uh, and uh, you also mentioned that the UK government is now allowing taller and wider masts. I guess that's also to do with with the yeah. rollouts of 5G. Yeah, that, that was an interesting snippet because um, one of the things that gets talked about uh, 5G is that we're going to need to have a lot more uh, base stations or antenna sites if we're going to get uh, good coverage and very high capacity. 
Um, and to some extent, you can mitigate that by using things like carrier aggregation, which allows you to use higher frequency bands more efficiently by combining them with low frequency bands. But, but ultimately, to get good coverage, and one, particularly in rural areas, the problem is always to get coverage, mm. um, uh, you rely on uh, getting sites which give you good line of sight. So that you can you can like have the signal receive see the users. Um, so for for good area coverage, you're always looking for a high spot to put the antenna. So you know, and uh, and and quite often you you get this thing that everybody wants to have 5G service available, but people maybe aren't so very happy if uh, you know the, it, it can be difficult to get planning permission and permissions to set up new sites. So if you've got a site. Uh, and you can actually move you know, move the antenna further up in the air, you can increase the reach of that site and remove the need for uh, as many sites to get the same coverage. Makes it cheaper to provide the coverage, gives gives users in rural areas a better service. So you know it's a very uh, positive initiative, I think, to see them to see them moving that. Of course, on the, the downside for that is that you, you know, they're visible, vis going to be visually more noticeable in the environment if you if you put bigger towers in. Um, but that's kind of a trade-off to be made, really. Yeah, uh, uh, and uh, interesting to see the the route that the UK is taking there. Yeah, uh, and we are we will go into this area on uh, this on the interview we're going to do next where we, it's it's sort of a part of it is about the footprint so <laughs> uh, we will go into footprint and that is basically like yeah the the amount of space needed for for uh, equipment right and like this like the, it's happening in the UK yeah, it's uh, yeah. When it when it comes to towers, and you know, we talk about footprint on the tower, it's like you know, how much space does it take on the tower, or mm -hmm. how much space does the equipment take on the ground. Um, what you put on a tower is actually quite important because the, the stuff that you put on the tower affects the the load on the tower from the wind. So yeah. uh, and and you have to actually get the equipment up the tower. So you know if my equipment is really heavy, then I need to bring in a a crane or a cherry picker to lift everything up in the air and to be able to mount it. If I can bring down the size, then uh, it makes it easier to get stuff up there. But it also uh, means, from the you know, from the operator's point of view, if the people that own the tower, maybe if it's a if it's a separate uh, tower company that owns it, you know the the loading on the tower is lower if you've got smaller equipment that that takes less space and is less windage. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, so let's talk about the what's inside the equipment <laughs> here and now. Take the um, lid off. Five yes, with uh, our guest. Today we are going to go inside uh, 5G. Inside. We are. Yeah. Inside, right inside. In fact, right down into the very detail of uh, of uh, how we make 5G happen. 
Yes. Uh, and I think what, one of the interesting things with 5G, I mean, everybody talks about super fast uh, you know, data speeds. And we've talked uh, a bit about things like massive MIMO, which, which require lots of processing. Uh, and of course, everything in the mobile network is happening in real time. Now, when I'm uh, when I'm connecting my phone, I want things to happen you know, as I'm doing things. So there's no offline processing and then coming back you know, a minute later and say, here's your connection. Um, so there's lots of things happening in real time. There's lots of things. There's lots of high capacity going on in in the network, um, and uh, and and at the same time we've got things like massive MIMO, which are in really in increasing the amount of processing you need to do, just to make things happen um, on the radio interface between the radio and the phones. Uh, so what we're going to look at today is is like what do we need to do? How do we go about like uh, meeting those conflicting requirements of uh, doing a lot of stuff in a very short space of time. Yeah. Um, so we so we're going to actually look at chips. <laughs> we're going to look at chips, but not the chips that we uh, that you you eat. <laughs> no. Yeah, not not even the Swedish chips that you eat, which is what not I even crisps. the crisps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have with us. Uh, Michael Begley, you're an expert uh, in this area. You're uh, Ericsson's head of uh, product line. RAN Compute, and this is like a new name, the RAN Compute. It was, uh, or it's referred to also as uh, the baseband. And would you call that sort of like the the processing on the, or the brain of the radio access network? I would absolutely call it that. Um, it is, <laughs> as you said, uh, definitely historically been referred to as um, baseband processing. Uh, but these days we refer to it as RAN compute because it's so much more than just baseband processing that's required these days. Uh, and, and given the diversity of the different technical solutions we have within 5G. So uh, we, these days we refer to it as RAN compute. Yeah, I hear you're you're from Ireland, right? That's right. Born oh. and bred. <laughs> Born and bred. Uh, so, but are you in Sweden now? Yes, I'm uh, settled in in. Sweden settled for a, in Sweden for, so for a long time now so uh, happily married to a nice Swedish country. <laughs> good to know <laughs> so tell us how long have you been working in this area of the baseband and and the RON compute oh, that's a great question I have to think a little bit <laughs> I think 10 15 years uh, so I've Woo! been I've been through all the G's I've been through 2G 3G 4G and this is my 5G <laughs> And now things are changing up, right? So what's happening? Yeah, I think Paul mentioned it a little bit at the beginning. Um, uh, if you look at 5G uh, from a technology point of view, it, it, it as Paul said, it offers some fantastic uh, data rates, uh, low latency, uh, new opportunities in industry and private networks and things like that. But if you look at the, the technology that under the hood, so to speak, if you look at the engine that's needed to drive this, um, it has some pretty, pretty big challenges right now. Uh, and the way I like to try and explain this is to compare it to 4G. So when we had 4G, we had what we call a carrier bandwidth of 20 megahertz. Our radios had antenna branches that were to transmit to receive. And we had a transition time interval, which is basically says how long you have to process the data of one millisecond. Mm. When you jump forward into 5G, 
um, the carrier bandwidth goes from 20 megahertz to typically 100 megahertz, so five times more. Okay. The antenna bandwidth, though, they go from two transmit to receive to 64 transmit, 64 receive. That's 32 right. times more. That's 160 times more data from the radio you need to process. That is a lot. And, and is that what it, what we call a massive MIMO? That is what we refer to as massive MIMO. Ah. It's mm -hmm. the technology that gives you these peak data speeds uh, and low latency. Yeah. And and then because that you know 160 times more data to process in the radio, it wasn't enough. <laughs> we also then halved the transmission time from one millisecond to 0.5. Or put another way, you've only now got half the time to do 160 times more processing compared to 4G. And I mean, that's that's an exponential explosion in, in processing needs. I mean, often when we talk about, let's say Moore's law, we talk about doubling the number of transistors. Or when we talk Moore's, about- Moore's law. Moore's law. Yeah, right. it's, yeah, I mean, Moore's law is, is quite a famous one in the, in the technology industry where um, Moore said once upon a time that in the silicon world, about every two years, we double the number of transistors that you can have for building your system on a chip, your silicon chips. Ah, so that is but, what makes uh, computers uh, old or did make them very old, very fast in the uh, like 20 years ago and now. Yeah, yeah. It, well, I wouldn't say it makes them old. I would say the technology uh, goes ahead in leaps and bounds. So, yeah. uh, you know, if you're doubling every two years, that means you're quadrupling every four years. It means you have eight times more transistors to play with every six years. So, you know, mm -hmm. it, it, it's what has been driving the explosion between computers, but smartphones, uh, wearables, all of these things are benefiting from, from this uh, um, uh, growth in, in, in Moore's law. Mm. Mm. Cool. Now I know. Wow. <laughs> I mean, one of, uh, but one of, one of the corollaries to that is that you talk about that, you know, that, that, uh, that, that compared to 40, 5G is very difficult. But of course, back when 40 came, now, Moore's law said that you know, the number of transistors you had available is very much fewer than we had today. So even back then, doing baseband processing was a challenge. It was it, you know, still a technology challenge even then. It's just that the challenge keeps growing uh, and uh, as, we, as, as our ability to, to, uh, to compute it uh, grows. Absolutely. And, and I think telecoms, IT, um, smartphones, wearables, we're all benefiting from this uh, improvement in technology. And of course, the more transistors you have, the more processing you can do, the more cool, fun things you can do. It can be massive MIMO for 5G, or it can be advanced graphics in, in graphics cards for some of the very latest uh, games like Fortnite, or it can be um, you know, just about uh, anything that we see in the modern world. Mm. And you have some options when it comes to these uh, things. Uh, like you can go with a, a standard set or you can create your own, right? Absolutely. And um, I think one of the myths or misconceptions that often comes around Moore's Law is 
people say processor speeds double every year, every two years, but actually they don't. Um, it's the number of transistors, so it's the building blocks oh. that double every two years. Then how you use them, uh, what you use them to build can vary differently. So transistors, if you think like bricks for a building, you can use those bricks to build a house, you can use them to build a school, you can use them to build a hospital. Same bricks, but very different functions. And it's the same with uh, silicon as well. Um, so we in Ericsson, we use them to build what we call Ericsson silicon. Uh, it's our own family of um, system on a chip. Sometimes people call them ASICs, uh, which we use in our 5G portfolio. Mm -hmm. And this is, uh, we've, have we done this for a long time? What's the We've been history? doing this actually for decades. Um, okay. Right since 2G, uh, actually. Mm. <laughs> um, and this is because we build, well, we, we purpose build hardware. So we build hardware that's dedicated to doing ra radio access networks or RAM processing, as we call it. Uh, that's, that's, what we're good, that's what we do. And our custom silicon is purpose built, it's customized for that application. So I guess the, there is a reason <laughs> why Absolutely. this is custom built or why Ericsson is choosing to custom build theirs. Yeah. Absolutely. And it comes down to, I would say, really two key parameters, uh, network performance and energy efficiency. Uh, there are two things that I'll, I'll admit we get a little obsessive compulsive over uh, <laughs> within Ericsson. Um, I think network performance is the more straightforward one for people to, to grasp. It's, uh, you know, it's delivering the best um, cost per bit, the highest peak rates, the best spectrum efficiency. If if you look in the U US recently, they paid $80 billion for the C-band spectrum. You really want to use every part of that spectrum in the most efficient way you can to get full value for your $80 billion, right? So it's about network performance. Um, the other one that maybe is not quite as obvious, um, but is actually something we obsess over quite a bit, and that's energy efficiency. Mm -hmm. um, the obvious one, of course, is the more energy efficient you are, the less electricity or the less power you use, the lower your electricity bill. And that's good for operators. It's good for environment, you know, it's reducing the carbon footprint. And it's it's something we strive for all the time. I think what's a little less obvious is it's not just the box itself. Um, every radio base station site has a lot of what we call support infrastructure. So, for example, there are battery backup systems in case the power goes out so we can keep it on air. Um, but, you know, if you consume more power, you need more batteries. You need more powerful battery chargers. Uh, all of our kit is DC powered. So you need converters that go from AC to DC conversion. And again, more power, more complex, more um, AC-DC conversion you need to do. And most critically, all of our equipment needs to be cooled. They get quite hot. And again, the more power you consume, the hotter you get, the more air conditioning you need to use to cool this equipment. So it's not just the equipment itself, but it's all that support infrastructure that sits around it that, um, you know, every watt that we can take out uh, has a huge impact uh, on the um, 
power consumption of the networks. Then the other yeah. branch of that is um, the product itself. So uh, it's not rocket science. It's called the thermodynamic laws of physics. Um, if you have something that's hot and consumes a lot of power, you need to cool it. And the way you cool things is you use aluminium. So the hotter, more power consuming it is, the more aluminium you use, the more aluminium you use, the bigger, bulkier, heavier your uh, radio is. Mm. And I can give an example just maybe to illustrate it. Uh, the very, very first generation massive MIMO radio that we did was uh, almost 60 kilos and was really quite large. Uh, and 60 kilos, you know, if you're pretty strong, I guess two guys could lift it, but in practice, you need a crane to get that up <laughs> on the rooftop. Yeah. The latest generation that we've released uh, here at, uh, about a month, a month and a half ago, is the Air 6419. It's 20 kilos. It's small enough that one guy can lift it and hold it above his head. <laughs> and, and it's that, more powerful and more. <clears throat> and it's actually more powerful. It has a higher output power. It has better performance. It has better coverage. Yeah. And, and of course, less less aluminium means smaller size, so it's so it's uh, it's less load on That's the true. less load on the mast. You can have a, a smaller mast. The all round look and feel of the site is is less intrusive as well. Absolutely. So it's a win win for everyone. Mm -hmm. So Ericsson has their own our own silicon. Um, in in this uh, in the in the baseband in the RON compute and also in the then in the air in the antenna integrated radios is there Ericsson silicone in, in all the products that we create here? Yes, actually, and I think that's one <laughs> of the um, the key differences with the five G. Um, so again, if I look back mm -hmm. at four G, we had Ericsson silicon and our DFEs in the radios. We had Ericsson silicon. Sorry, DFEs. Sorry, uh, digital front end. It's the okay. processor in the radio that handles the analog to digital conversion. It does things like linearization, for example. Okay. Uh, very technical. I'm a bit nerdy sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> as long as you uh, uh, it's, explain, it's, it's the fine. <laughs> It's, it's taking the radio signal, which is which is lots of waves and stuff, and converting it into a digital signal. Thank you, Paul. Absolutely. Which you can which you, which you can run on a processor then, a normal. Absolutely. Uh, and then we had custom silicon in in the baseband, as we called it at that time. I think what's different in five G is we massively expanded the use of custom silicon or Ericsson silicon. Mm -hmm. So we have now. In the massive MIMO radio, we have the DFE, the digital front end, but now we also have a dedicated system on a chip for beamforming and layer one uplink processing. Mm. Um, in the RAN compute, we have our custom silicon as we always have had, but even in our transport network products um, where we want to do packet front haul of uh, these radios, we had Ericsson silicon to do the CIPRI to eCIPRI conversion, as we call it. In other words, we convert from a legacy radio in the time domain to bring it over a packet network. So mm. it's going across the entire 5G portfolio now. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and, to... and again, to clarify, the, yeah. the, the, the frontal part, that's the part that connects the RAN compute unit with the massive MIMO radio. 
Uh, and just to remind everyone that the transport network is then the, the thing that that uh, brings the all the data across uh, vast areas. Since so you can you can use fiber from a site, or or you can have these little microwave base stations, or or correct. We have suppose, different solutions yeah, for how we yeah. bring this data yeah. back. Yeah. This is this is something that's been used a lot now in 5G. It becomes more important, uh, or or yeah, the use for it uh, is becomes more critical. Why is it so important? Why is why is it increasingly important now? It is actually a general um, trend now in the industry to go more towards custom silicon. I think for a long time we had a, quite a lot of people moving towards what we call off the shelf, so standard processors you buy, like uh, x86 or ARM, um, yeah. and, uh, as two examples. But we're starting to see that if you really want to get to the next level of performance, if you want to get to the next level of energy efficiency, you you can't just rely on. Gen generic processors and Moore's law, you really want to have to, even though they are very good and very flexible, um, mm. you really have to go towards custom or purpose-built um, silicon if you want to get that lev next level of performance and energy efficiency. And we see that it's not just in Ericsson, and we see that across the whole industry. I mean, Amazon, Google, even Tesla is making custom silicon for their cars. Mm. Um, I think from a from you know from people's listening point of view, if you if you're used to you know personal computers, then you know there's a good example there that illustrates the difference between a general purpose processor and something that's designed to do a particular job. And that's when it comes to things like graphics cards, which are you know which are you know you have a computer if processor in your computer, yet you still put in a card which has got dedicated chips which are designed just to do the the process intensive job of, of processing graphics mm. um, you know and here we're talking about well you know I can do some of the things I can do in general purpose processing but when it comes to processing what's happening with radio signals uh, you know that's a specific and specialist job that we create uh, you know custom sort of silicon solution for. Mm. I think it's a great example Paul and, and I actually quite like that example myself because I say if you look at some of the really hot games out there at the moment, for example, like um, Fortnite or Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Uh, you can play those on a standard PC, for sure. You can use a standard off-the-shelf x86 PC, it will play those games. But if you really want to get that immersive uh, feeling, that fantastical graphics, as you say, Paul, you have to put in a dedicated purpose-built graphics card. And they actually, these game manufacturers strongly recommend you do that. Mm. And that's very much like it is in 5G as well. I mean, mm. you can use off-the-shelf components like processors or FPGAs as examples to build this equipment. But if you really want to get the performance, if you really want to get the energy efficiency, you have to purpose-build uh, your own custom silicon for that. Mm. And I would guess also that I mean, if you if you are now opening uh, openly talking about Ericsson silicone, that you are very happy with the performance. <laughs> Absolutely, <Right>? uh, <laughs> we 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 are very proud of our um, some of our features like uh, uplink booster and uh, Ericsson spectrum mm -hmm. sharing. Uh, oh, some and of those things... uh, those are uh, then 
what what extra one can put on to to get those uh, um, yeah to get the best performance uh, and the and the basis for for that is the this fantastic silicone is that true <laughs> absolutely i think uh, <laughs> if you look at our massive mimo radio which is something we're very proud of um mm. we have a feature called uplink booster um so in a radio access network, we are what you call uplink limited. So the weakest link is the radio signal from your mobile to the antenna because your mobile is driven by a battery and the downlink is driven by the power, the electricity grid. So you need to, that's the weakest signal. An uplink booster, what it does is it more than doubles the range at which we can detect that signal. Mm. which means from the same radio, we can pick up subscribers twice as far away uh, as, as um, other massive minor radios that don't have this capability. Yeah, that's um, really interesting to hear. And uh, yeah, to learn more about this uh, key to, to some of the um, most spectacular products that, <laughs> that we have. <laughs> So, Michael, when, when we, we we've talked about the difference between doing things with custom silicon and the difference doing things with um, uh, general purpose uh, computing, um, how does that relate when we talk about things like uh, virtualizing the access network and and cloud run? You know, what what paths can we actually move into the cloud, and how does that all fit together? So, quite obviously, uh, custom silicon. Um, oh, sorry, quite obviously, you can't move the radio into the cloud. So the radio physically has to be at the site with the antenna. So mm -hmm. the radios will always require custom silicon if we are to keep them at a reasonable size with a reasonable power consumption. What is possible to virtualize and move into the cloud is, of course, the brand compute function on the baseband processing function. Uh, and Ericsson is, uh, has an offering for that as well. We call it, we refer to it as CloudRan. I'll call it CloudRan. Um, CloudRan is not going to be um as efficient as purpose built i mean that's pretty obvious if you purpose build something to do a job um it's gonna it should or at least if it doesn't you've done a really bad mistake but it should of course do that better than something that is generic uh, that isn't purpose built so it's not going to be as efficient it can do ram processing that's what it does uh it can't do edge compute functions it can't allow you to put out uh, edge applications on it. Uh, mm. And that's what CloudRun allows for. So CloudRun is addressing the need for flexibility. Mm. Now, the, the two solutions work very well, and they work very well together. So, um, so for example, you might roll out RAN Compute, get a very efficient uh, network out there, and at some point in the future, you might decide, now I want to put an edge compute application. I want to put a a local breakout or a video caching or a similar type of application at the edge of the network. That's uh, in some of these 5G use cases. You can't put that on the RAN compute. So you need to put beside the RAN compute uh, dedicated hardware for that. CloudRun is the opposite. So CloudRun is flexible. It can run both the RAN compute function and that edge application. So if you're doing a greenfield rollout or if you're doing, uh, uh, if you have some very unique applications like in industry and things like that. It makes more sense maybe to put a cloud run there and accept the, it's not quite as efficient as RAN compute, 
but you have flexibility instead. So it's always that trade-off between the two types of technologies. Yeah, and we should say that if you want to learn more about CloudRun, we did do an, a special episode about it, uh, the episode number 59 of the podcast. So anyone wants to learn more, uh, they can uh, go back to that episode. Uh, and now I guess we covered both parts, both the having the radio access network in the cloud and having it uh, special made with abilities. Purposeful. Purpose-built, yeah. thank you, Michael. But, but I think it's, <laughs> yep. I think it's, in, it, it, it's interesting, though, because the, the, you know, we talk about either cloud run or distributed run, but as, as Michael said, uh, the antenna is always there, and you need to have a radio that drives the antenna. And as things get more complicated and uh, we've moved to massive MIMO, there's more and more processing needs to be done, mm. basically, at the antenna or in, or in the radio. So, you know, there's a big focus on and, and a bit lots of discussion about cloud run and, and can we move processing out into the cloud um, but fundamentally a big part of the processing um, if you look at the overall processing load in, a, in an access network a big part of it is, is tied and dedicated to what's happening r right at the at the uh, at the point that the radio signals are being generated and processed yeah. fully agree Paul <laughs> okay, so, uh, Michael. Uh, when it comes to to the future, what do you see? How do you see this uh, proceeding? Um, I mean, I do believe that custom silicon is is here to stay. Um, there is no mm -hmm. one questioning it on the radio, um, and even if there is um, quite a lot of interest in uh, in cloud run and moving some of the functions into the cloud, the fact is, uh, you know. An operator has hundreds of thousands of sites, potentially. Definitely tens of thousands, potentially hundreds of thousands. Uh, and in that size of a network, you really do need to have a processing function to be as uh, efficient as possible. To, you want a network performance, as I said, spent $80 billion on, a, on Spectrum. You want your Spectrum efficiency. You want your network performance. So I do believe that custom silicon will be around for a long time in the RAN compute function as well. Mm. But then perhaps, uh, like you said, where where it's needed most. But we still need. Uh, uh, I mean, there we, have, we get. There is always a lot of complaints about not having connectivity in certain areas and stuff like that. Absolutely, we, it needs and to be available. There's exactly. some availability. And I think that is one of the uh, the fantastic opportunities, but also one of the biggest challenges. 5G is not a single solution. It's not a single architecture. It's not a single uh, product. Uh, it's, it is actually vastly more complex than the previous generation. You know, even just from a spectrum point of view, in 4G, you had what we call low band. In 5G, we have low band, mid band, high band or millimeter wave. Mm. You know, we have different architectures, yeah. we have different needs, different requirements. And that, I think, is the biggest challenge for both us and the operators, how to handle this complexity. Because one solution does not fit all. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good uh, statement, <laughs> right? End statement. Uh, thank you, Michael, for joining this podcast and explaining uh, to us about the like what I call the inards of uh, of the the uh, radio access brain, <laughs> right, Paul? <laughs> yeah, 
yeah. the Inards. The yeah. Inards. <laughs> <laughs> thanks so uh, much. Uh, and thanks everyone for listening. And bye. 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 bye.